Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Welcome to the Weekly Warrior Podcast, where we are forging genuine human connection through fitness, health, mindset, and nutrition. Let's get to the show with your hosts, Jared Bradford, Connor Edelbrock, and Corey Mueller. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Weekly Warrior Podcast. And on today's episode, I'm joined by one of our favorite people, Mike Fleming, or as all of you know, Tempo. We know him. We love him. He's here again. What's going on, buddy? Not much, my friend. I am, like I say every single time, I'm so excited to be on this podcast just so that we can talk about healthy lifestyle. I know I'm trying to be a better warrior. You know, nobody's perfect. But at the end of the day, like these conversations is what really helps people make gradual improvements in their lifestyle. But I've been doing great. The book is doing well. Um, People getting reviews and they really, truly enjoy it. Um, They also like the comedy that's added to it and my own like personal take. So I'm just so happy to give back and continue to do what I love to do. And that's improving people's lives and giving them that self-trust to make those healthy decisions on a regular basis. We have a ridiculously good and important episode planned. Be ready to have your mind blown today because this is something that you need to share with grandma and your sisters and your brothers and your friends and your everybody because it's so important. But first, talking about Tempo's book, here she is. Oh, she's a beaut. <laughs> we got her, and I started reading it, and man, my favorite part about it so far is yeah. uh, it's literally it's a genuine conversation with you, and that's my favorite part about it because when I read it, it's like I'm talking to you, and I can hear the shit that you say, and I laugh <laughs> because I know it's you. <laughs> yes uh, no and just being and that's what a lot of people do on their like when you establish self-trust and everything like you have to answer ask questions and answer questions like throughout this whole entire process so yeah i'm i'm answering my own questions in the book but it's being able to add a lot more content a lot more clarity and individual context that really truly sends it home so i this is my first time writing a book so i'm just happy to add my own flavor of being an author and Hopefully, uh, anybody else who's listening to this podcast, go get it. It's on Amazon via Kindle, Kindle Unlimited, or go ahead and get the hard copy just like Corey has right in front of him. So, yeah, it's right here. For those of you watching on YouTube, it's right here in front of you. If you're not watching the YouTube, what the hell are you doing? Go watch the YouTube channel. Um, Yeah, it's good. I haven't gotten into the meat and potatoes of it yet. I'm like 15 pages in, but so far, I just love the. It just feels like talking to you. So anyway, very important. Go buy the book. It's on Amazon. RFF Lifestyle by Mike Fleming. Very easy to find. Let's hop into today's episode. And I'm going to preface this conversation with, I already started prefacing it, but I'm going to finish prefacing it now. This is maybe the most important episode of the Weekly Warrior podcast that we've ever done. And we've done some cool stuff, but this this could save your life or those uh, lives of those you love. So 
I'm going to rattle off a couple of things, Tempo, and I want you to just Please. take them in. Just take them in for a second, and then we're going to we're going to hop right into it. So, corn oil, canola oil, cottonseed oil, soy oil, sunflower oil, safflower oil, grape seed oil, and rice bran oil. What are all these, Tempo? What do they all have in common? They are highly refined, and they're high in polyunsaturated fat acids. We know them. We hate them. They're vegetable oils. Don't they sound so sexy, though? Like oh my canola, God, yeah. sunflower. That means I'm going to have all <laughs> the energy in the world if I use these oils on a regular basis. Yeah, this is. I'm so excited we're going to be able to do a deep dive in this uh, subject of vegetable oils, and uh, I hope you guys are ready. Like this, this th- there's a history behind it. There's like a metabolic physiology component behind it. So I hope you're ready to strap in, and we're going to go down a few rabbit hole together i think there is a lot there's some context that needs to be added here so a couple of years ago when connor and i started to really dive into some of these vegetable oils and why they are not good for us it was incredible i'm just going to be honest it was incredibly frustrating because when we go through the grocery store and i remember this because everything you pull off the shelf we look at the, the ingredients and it was like every single thing in it had some sort, and it can even be organic, some sort of vegetable oil. Come to find out, these vegetable oils are highly toxic to us as humans, and most of them are already rancid, which means they've gone bad before we even get a chance to use them. So when you really dive into vegetable oils, you think everybody uses them. Everybody uses them in... Uh, the culinary field in all of our restaurants and so many products that we have at the grocery store. Part of that is because the vegetable oils are so cheap. But so I want to preface this with saying that because it's a large shift that we feel is worth it to make from buying these, like you go to the store and you buy vegetable oil, you make your brownies with it. You mix vegetable oil in with the brownie mix, and it's easy, and that's how it is. Like, you cook with it, it's super easy and convenient, but it's killing you. It's straight up killing you slowly, and it has been for years, and nobody has told you this. So it is going to feel frustrating, and you're going to be like, man, these people are crazy. Why are we listening to this shit? But it's true. There are very few of these oils that we cook with that are actually beneficial for us. So that's... I want to give that context and what we are trying to do is help you gain the knowledge and the awareness so you can choose things more intelligently. So we get it. You have a social life, you have friends, you go out to eat. Those things are going to happen. And if they don't, you, you should try to have some more fun. Yeah. have a fucking life. Why don't you? Right. <laughs> but you know, the majority of the time you should be choosing to cook with, a different quality of oil that is going to not be toxic and going to be better for you. So we get it. Life happens. You're going to be out and about. You're going to be doing stuff. There aren't going to be a whole lot of things you can do about it. And that's okay. Perfection is never going to happen with this type of stuff, but it's reducing your exposure to it, which is really going to help in the long run. So let's get back to basics with this and talk about the history of vegetable oils. I know you've got everything laid out for us, so let's start. Let's start from the beginning, Tempo. All right. So the the earliest beginning that you can go into is like into the 1800s. It was like 1860s, and uh, it was generally the first original vegetable oil um, was margarine, and that was something that a lot of people would use as an alternative because what they decided is that there's a lot of beef, there's a lot of animal fat, there's a lot of quality fats that we can use, but we got to find a cheaper alternative to the lower socioeconomic type people. And what that actually ended up, what they ended up doing as a result of that is that they started recommending margarine as a form of you consuming these oils in general. So all of you know margarine pretty well and people have been using it for years, but I'm going to just go fast forward because since we're 
Americans, we're going to talk about the American history of vegetable oils. Now, in the actual Great Depression, when we're dealing in the 1920s, what we had during that time period was a shortage of lard. And a lot of people would use lard specifically just for cooking, and it was in high demand as a result, but not a lot of people were getting access to lard. And during that time period, if there was no access to lard, people were finding and trying to figure out what are cheaper alternatives that we can use in our cooking that is going to help us due to the shortage. Because during the Great Depression, things are tough. We understand times, economic woes, that they were legitimately there. And there was this company that was just known as Procter & Gamble. And they were originally designed to be a candle and wax company. And what they realized during their actual, like, large shortage and what was going on in our society at that time, we also realized that we had a significant abundance of cottonseed oil. And cotton alone was being produced at high levels in the 1920s. And mm -hmm. ultimately, during that time period, what they wanted to be able to do was make an alternative. And Procter & Gamble took advantage of that alternative. And that was, we have an influx of cotton, and we have a deflux of lard. But what does cotton look like? What does a seed look like when you like industrialize it, when you break it down, and when you make it into its actual form? Well, guess what it starts to look like? It kind of looks like lard when you first use it. So... At that time period, Procter & Gamble was like, hey, people need an alternative. People need to be able to cook with something different, something that's cheaper, to Corey's point that he mentioned. And what happened is that people started using cottonseed oil that was broken down by Procter & Gamble and using it in our cooking modalities in the 1920s. And mm -hmm. for all of you people that are curious to know, I know you're all very excited to figure out, what is cottonseed oil? You commonly know it as Crisco. And Crisco is simply cottonseed oil. And people started using cottonseed oil on a regular basis as a substitute for lard. There was no evidence at that time that this was a healthier alternative for everybody or that it was an unhealthy alternative at all. It was during those economic times you found an alternative and that worked for people. Well, in a lot of time in that period... They marketed Crisco to housewives. You'll never have to churn butter again. Exactly. You know what I mean? It's guess, a time saver. Yes, in the labor force. Yes, we've all evolved to this. Now it's just at that point where traditionally what was going on is that you had men predominantly working. You had women predominantly at the home front with their children and cooking and doing all these modalities. So you're absolutely right. It was so sold directly to those sources and it was sold to people who were staying at the home front, trying to find the cheapest and easiest alternative to not churning butter, not getting lard and not being able to afford it at that time. And it was something that took, they took advantage of big time in the 1920s. Did you know that the, that Crisco was initially developed it was initially developed as a mechanical lubricant. So the cottonseed oil, which solidified and looked like lard, was developed to be mechanical grease, essentially. And uh, the, the people at Procter & Gamble looked at it and they said, hmm, kind of looks like lard. <laughs> we could sell it like that. Why not? So mm -hmm. an interesting thing, uh, and Connor told me this, an interesting thing that they did to market it they started putting out cookbooks. The cookbooks had recipes in them, obviously. And guess what was in every single recipe? Yeah. Crisco, baby. Crisco. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and what a healthy time period. 1920s, 1950s. You know, you're dealing with, oh, let's have more Crisco cookbooks. Only doctors smoke camels. Like, what kind of healthy, <laughs> fucked up advertising have we been dealing yeah. with all the way until this Only point? I, I, camels, I, yeah. I digress. But at the same time, let's just be honest. There was no actual legitimate healthy lifestyle recommendations from the 1920s to the 1950s. But people were healthy. We've continued to use these oils. I mean, we had Crisco in the pantry growing up. I had Crisco, butter-flavored Crisco, <laughs> when I was in college. You know what I mean? Yep. And so it, it's crazy. Anyway, going back to... So Procter & Gamble started to sell cottonseed oil, which we now know as Crisco. 
Um, what happened after that? Yeah, so after we started having the abundance of Crisco being used and being purchased by a ton of people, from the 1920s all the way to the 1950s, we started to see a correlation of people just having cardiovascular disease, meaning that people were having a higher mortality from the 1920s to 1950s of people just not being overweight, not being diabetic, not being any other factors that were contributing to heart disease. But in 1920 to 1950, we started to see people just dropping dead and they were fit, they were healthy, they were active, they were outside, they were doing things. And people honestly were truly trying to figure out what is the correlation, what is the association that is causing this increase? Because think about it this way, like we said, people are smoking during this time period, people are relatively active, they're getting sunlight. So there's not a lot of outliers that are actually correlated with a steady increase or a actual astronomical increase in heart disease. So so during that time period, people were just like, uh, okay, you know, John John's 40, he's out on the farm, and for some odd reason, he just, you know, died of a heart attack. There was no physiological explanation at that time, but we noticed that there was a steady increase. And this continues to be a correlation where we start to see a steady rise in heart disease while we start to see a steady rise in vegetable oil consumption or vegetable oil cooking. And this is well before people are diabetic. This is well before people started becoming overweight. There were still, you know, fit people at Woodstock. So, like, we still had a lot of people that were just having cardiovascular complications but not being at a higher overweight or not identifying other factors that contribute to heart disease. So here's my question. Prior to the 1920s when like Crisco really started the revolution. I mean, there was, there's been tons of imitators and others since obviously, but prior to the 1920s, when that occurred, did we just not have the science to find these cardiovascular issues or did they actually just not really exist in the majority of the population? Obviously there was, there were overweight people and there were unhealthy people, but that was a, that was a, I would say fairly minority population. Um, so was the science not there? Or was cardiovascular disease, as we know it today, not present? I, w- I would say a little bit of both because we just have to, like you brought up, we just have to kind of understand context with different time periods. So obviously our life expectancy is significantly higher because we've evolved, we've gotten better medical treatment, we've been doing a lot better at promoting a healthy lifestyle. But during that time period before vegetable oils were being used, people were more concerned about you know things like um, war, um, people were concerned about infections, you know, you know, dying at 40 because we did not be able to get the proper wound care. So like people's priorities were different. So the life expectancy was a lot shorter. We had medical evidence about, uh, a lot of different types of diseases, but our primary focus wasn't on heart disease until 1920s to 1950s when we saw that big spike in heart disease. Um, so I would say context does matter in that regard. People were dealing with different types of chronic conditions or acute illnesses that would actually cause you to die in and have a higher mortality rate earlier on in life. So I think from the 1920s to 1950s is when we actually started to be like, okay, something's wrong here. We need to kind of figure out what is what are the associations because we can't figure out causality because like any disease that we realize, it's multifactorial. There's so many different components that go into it. But the first thing we started looking at was when we saw those spikes, we wanted to look at associations. What are the what are people doing in their everyday life that is associated with this disease that is spiking so high? Oh, it's I cook my bacon and eggs in Crisco. Yeah. Well, <laughs> even if you did cook your bacon uh, and you cooked like your eggs in the bacon grease, you know, some people right. would just be like, oh, I, well, I don't have shelter. So I guess I'm not worried about cooking in bacon grease at this time. So like the priorities were just completely different. But I'm glad that in the 1920s, 1950s, we at least started to focus on what is a, a strong association that's causing this trend. So now we're into the 50s, going from the 1950s. Obviously, there wasn't a significant amount of scientific proof that was, hey, these vegetable oils toxic are toxic to us. So what 
what proceeded in the in the coming decades really because vegetable oil use i would say continued to rise it didn't it didn't decline at all it, it only continued to rise so what what continued to happen on the scientific front yeah on the scientific fr- very good point. So on the scientific front, it started with more, like I said, associational data. So we started having uh, a lot of associations that were potentially, you know, being the cause of heart disease. So when they started doing more autopsies and they started doing more evidence-based research on what was the actual factor, they actually looked at inside at the coronary artery during autopsy. And what they were actually identifying and seeing in the coronary artery was that they were seeing a cluster of fat buildup that was collected in there and also cholesterol deposits so this is what people started realizing as we started to see this steady increase in heart disease we started to find a lot more pockets of damage inflammation to the actual cellular wall of the artery but then we were also seeing a pile up kind of like a traffic jam of just fat accumulation in that artery and then we also were seeing calcification which is hardening of the artery and then lastly we were seeing uh cholesterol deposits being put in there so as we are getting through the 1950s and we're starting to do more of this research now we're trying to figure out okay what's the direct association or what do we think is the cause of this increase in heart disease and what a lot of people were leaning towards the cause of especially with medical consensus was that well there's fat in the artery Well, there's cholesterol in the artery, so it must mean that if we are consuming fat, if we are consuming cholesterol, that must be the association that is causing this steady or accelerating increase in heart disease. And that's where we get into, I mentioned it before on the podcast, the diet heart hypothesis. And that's where we started having this association. I say this with a grain of salt, even though some of you might be scared of salt too. Um, (laughs) I want (laughs) to let you know, this is a association of cardiovascular disease that was developed in the 1950s, not causality. It does not mean that if I eat cholesterol, it causes heart disease. It did not mean that if I ate saturated fat, that I'm causing heart disease. Just at that period of time, there was cholesterol, there was fat in the artery, so they believed with medical expert consensus that this is a potential association of why we're having these people dropping like flies. Sure. It seemed like the and I granted I wasn't alive during the 60s, 70s, 80s, uh, and then you know 90s. I was obviously alive, but the demonization of fats began. So, but what was not considered fat was these were these vegetable oils, which were continued to be pushed as cooking oils. And like I said, in both. Uh, professional settings and restaurants and in our food production. So everything, they, they continue to be pushed and they're still continuing to be pushed, even though now there's organic safflower and sunflower and all this, all these oils, which it doesn't make a difference. It's still, or like, I like the one where it says organic expeller pressed safflower oil. It's like, what the fuck does that even sure. mean? <laughs> and even even but, if you're wanting to get olive oil and avocado oil, in order to cut costs, they will go ahead and use 50% olive oil and the other 50% canola or soybean. Like they'll they'll find ways to cheapen down the cost. But the yes, you're absolutely right. The the rate of using vegetable oils in our society in packaging and products and in cooking just continues to rena- rise exponentially. Yeah, which we're we're definitely we're gonna talk about uh, olive oil, avocado oil, and some of the things to look for oils in general. We're gonna talk about all that stuff. So let's put a pin in that. Um, as far as the history goes, is there any other background information that's gonna be relevant to the next part of the conversation, which is what the fuck are we supposed to do about it? Yeah, now? sure. I do. I do want to add this little tidbit. I think it's just funny to add from a historical concept uh, when it comes to vegetable oils is that. We also had, around the 1950s, we had one of these guys, his name was uh, President uh, Eisenhower. (laughs) Um, You might know him. Uh, He was around in the 1950s. Old Dwight D. Eisenhower. uh, Yeah, Dwight D. Eisenhower. He was, was, during that actual time period, like, 
he was running the country. He was doing everything was great. But then at, at the drop of a dime, he ended up having a cardiovascular event. One of these things that we're talking about, these associations. And when President Eisenhower ended up having a heart attack, the common thing, especially when media, media was first starting to develop and people started reading more newspapers, extra, extra, President Eisenhower had a heart attack. Like, the common thought process that people have psychologically, and it's totally understandable, is that when you see the most powerful person in the world at that time have a heart attack, the honest thought right back to you is, well, if he can have one, that means I can have one. So the fear right away was already focused on Eisenhower's heart attack. And during that time period, what do you think was being created as the strong association with heart disease? And that was saturated fat and cholesterol. So during that time period, after he had his heart attack, they did media pics when he was physically active. They showed him, like, moving around, and they also showed him that uh, that he was working with his doctor and taking his statin, where he was lowering his cholesterol, and he was doing everything he could. But the funny thing is that nobody really tends to mention is that the two risk factors that were not uh, associated or correlated with heart disease at that time yet was smoking and was the <laughs> was the honest aspect that when you have the highest stressful job in the world that might play a role in how you respond to things no no not at no, all. no this is when men no, were men no then, this no we're, we're just going to take it and we're going to bury it and we're going to put it in a bottle i'm having yeah, a heart attack gonna, well, we're, we're going to bottle it just like we did all those vegetable oils. So, but ultimately, yeah. during that time period, everybody was focused on his saturated fat, cholesterol, was he physically active, but people failed to neglect that he had the highest stressful job at that time period. There was a lot of shit going on. And at the same time, he smoked four packs a day. Who has time to smoke four packs a day? The most stressful job the person who holds the most stressful <laughs> job in our country. But those weren't focused on. All that was focused on was the strong association of cholesterol and strong association of saturated fat. So with that, I did want to add that little historical context because it does relate back to when we start those recommendations even more as we go towards the higher exponential use of vegetable oils. Yeah, that's the. it's a good background base for where we're going next, which um, one thing we haven't talked about. So we talked about the history. We haven't talked about why vegetable oils are toxic. Um, it's easy to be like, oh, well, that thing's toxic and you shouldn't have it. Why are these vegetable oils actually toxic? To us? Yeah, very good question. So like when we are talking about vegetable oils in itself, there are two things that you want to consider. And first off is how is it processed? And what else is uh, going to, what's going to have an effect on the body physiologically? So let's first start off with the processing aspect. So when you're dealing with a vegetable oil, there are two ways to break down an oil. You could either expel or press it, just like you mentioned, and just like your avocado oil, your olive oil, most of them tend to be expeller pressed, meaning that you're not applying heat to it in order to make it an oil. So you're not adding oxidation to that actual oil. It's just becoming a oil naturally by pressing it. But these vegetable oils are done a little bit differently. So majority of vegetable oils, which I have to preface by saying none of them are vegetables, they are, they are heavily industrialized polyunsaturated fatty acid seed oils. They're basically not, I mean, in your professional opinion... I would classify these as not food. Like this is not actually food that we should consume just because it's, it's not really a food product. Would you agree or disagree with that? I would say eat the seed. Don't cook with it. That would be my alternative. It's chemistry changes when you put it through all this processing. Correct. Yeah, exactly. And this is what we're going to talk about. Like with these, seed oils right now so when you're dealing with the seed oil you can't it's very hard it's like very solid um and what you actually have to do is that you actually have to 
apply heat to it. And when you apply heat to it, you are changing the molecular structure of the actual product that you are using. So when you apply heat and you use oxidation, it's going to become this rancid oil. And when you first do that, when you apply heat to it and you apply heat to the seed oil, what happens is that it smells terrible. It actually is like a white waxy substance, just like those candles and all those other things we talked about with Procter and Gamble. But at the end of the day, when you do that, That oil that you are buying at the grocery store is not what it looks like when it's first broken down. So that is the first step of the processing aspect. You are going to bring it down by applying heat and it's going to turn into this waxy, smelly substance. But how do we sell it to the consumer? How can we make it more like an oil that traditionally what we know and see on the shelves? Well, after that process is done, in order for it not to smell like shit anymore, what we have to do is that we have to deodorize it We have to bleach it, and then we have to go ahead and put it in a bottle and change its coloring so that it looks like olive oil, so that it looks like avocado oil, because these do not actually look like the oils that you are sold to that are actually healthy, like our fruit oils. And when you do that process, that whole entire concept of heating an oil When you do that, it actually becomes partially hydrogenated. And a lot of people do not know that term. And that's simply you pump hydrogen ions into the food through heating it, and then it go and changes its molecular structure. Now, when you take that deodorized, that changed color, that bleached vegetable oil, and you put it in a bottle, and then you go ahead and sell it to a consumer, and that consumer goes home and cooks with it, What happens to the oil is that it becomes fully hydrogenated. And does anybody know what another synonym term for fully hydrogenated is? No, but I bet you're going to tell us. Yeah, suspense. Anybody ever heard of trans fat? How it got banned and nobody uses it anymore? Well, there's a reason for that. Okay, partially hydrogenated means partially transitioned, partially trans fat. And then you deodorize it, you bleach it, you put it in a bottle, you sell it to the consumer, they cook it again for a second time, it becomes fully hydrogenated, which means it's fully now a trans fat. So in the market of buying vegetable oils, what they are legally able to sell you are partially trans fats, but what you do with it makes it fully trans. It's crazy, man. Like, and that's, a, it's, it's unbelievable. Like, Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Like I said, when we first dove down this rabbit hole, was so frustrating. The, the biggest thing that was frustrating about it was realizing that every piece of food, I shouldn't say every, I would say 97% of food items in the average grocery store, this isn't like Whole Foods or a local co-op, and even there, like Trader Joe's is one of the worst. 
You go to Trader Joe's and you think, everything's healthy in here. Everything is good. Everything is, you know, great for me. Until you start looking at the labels still, it's the same shit. It's just labeled differently to make you think it's got this health halo built around it. So you think that it's good for you. You think that the fancy words that they use make it better for you. However, these vegetable oils that are in these foods, it's still shit. It's still killing you. And that was what was most frustrating for us and for me is like, man, we can't even go buy tortilla chips anymore because every single tortilla chip that's within a reasonable price range, to be honest, has some sort of toxic vegetable oil in it. And it was like, fuck. <laughs> like, it's everywhere. It's literally everywhere. <laughs> but but, but let, let me also add some clarity, too. So, like, with that actual usage of vegetable oil, I don't want to use percentages because then you get fact-checked or whatever. I don't really care. But it is in a large percentage of all of your packaged food items. And, and I will say... It's also in your hair care products, but it's also in your vitamins. So when they have that capsule that you're buying a general multivitamin, they will also put canola oil in it so that it's a fat-soluble type of oil so that way it can hold the things together. And when you have a vegetable oil attached to your foods, it has a longer shelf life. So that means that your expiration date, like we've talked on previous podcasts, it becomes two years, not two weeks. And imagine... The idea, think about food and just cooking with oils in general. If I leave something out, it's going to go bad, it's going to change in smell, it's going to change in texture. It's going to have its own naturalistic expiration date. Vegetable oils? I don't think so. We got two years, it doesn't change its shape, doesn't change its texture. Well, that's because it's already rancid to begin with. Yeah, man. At, like, this, it's just crazy, and I think to think that these companies put out that they give any type of a shit about us and our health, whether it's like you said in, you know, vitamins, whatever hair care products, all of these and cleaning products, all these things that have these toxic oils in them. These companies know that these oils are toxic. They know that we should not be consuming them. They can't not know they have scientists. They, they, they know what they're doing. But they're also bound by, we, we must make money. We must make money. And these people are dumb enough or educate, not educated enough to purchase this. Because I'm going to be honest, I didn't know any of this shit. I didn't know any of this shit. I knew like, yeah, we should try to eat like coconut oil and, and uh, olive oil. I didn't know the extent of any of this. So before you sit here and try to defend any of these companies and say like, oh, well, you know, they try to like, no, they are putting toxic ingredients in your food that you are feeding to yourself and to your children and to your parents. And that should piss people off. And that's when things are going to change when enough people know what this shit actually is. And the, and the more you look into it, it's like an iceberg. Like right now you're listening to the weekly warrior podcast episode about vegetable oils. And there is a mountain underneath the surface of evidence about why this this shit is so bad so take everything we're saying and understand that there is like miles more of information that you need to know you need to know this stuff and you need to make changes like as soon as possible and it is going to be frustrating and you are going to have to work a little bit harder for a short period of time to like figure out some alternatives so i'll give an example of this we didn't we stopped buying processed tortilla chips almost entirely you can buy organic corn tortillas which are like two ingredients ground corn and maybe some salt and put some avocado oil on them and fry them in an air fryer or bake them on a tray in your oven you have tortilla chips and we we eat nachos a couple times a month and i make the tortilla chips and they are so good they're so much better than any restaurant nacho you'll ever eat i promise you that um so there there are solutions to this you're just gonna have to put in a little more effort but i think like there is a revolution on the horizon of people getting back to basics where 
you're making these things at home like grandma did or, you know, whatever great grandma did and using these wholesome ingredients to do those things. So we went down this rabbit hole. Um, let's again, we'd like the last time let's crawl our way back out. Um, do you have anything to, else to add about why these oils are so toxic? Yeah, I, I just want to add something off to the point with the company's uh, p- part, because I think it's very important to the historical context that we're also making. And I I don't really do a lot of the speculation of like, I, obviously, all these companies are profit driven. It makes total sense. Um, but when I started getting a lot more agitated as a health coach is when you start slapping labels on them saying that they're healthy. Like, I like Coca-Cola has been around for years. Like, do people want to have a Coke? Sure. Like, did we like outlaw pro like outlaw alcohol and had alcohol prohibition? Of course it backfired. So like these products are out there, but when you start saying that they're actively healthy for people, that's when I start getting a little bit, you know, flustered and getting a little bit angry because they're not, they're just alternative. I'm starting to get a little pissed off right no, now. <laughs> I know they're just alternatives. That's what people need to know. It's just an alternative. Is it healthy? No, I don't believe so. Is it unhealthy? Yeah, I don't believe so. There's no actual idea that you can put on this to say that it is healthy. That's where it's problematic. And one more point off of the companies. It is very prominent and important to know that when you are dealing with vegetable oils, there was this small organization, this small nonprofit organization that was giving out subtle recommendations for a healthy lifestyle, just trying to, you know, help that strong association with heart disease and try and bring those numbers down. Over time, we have brought those numbers down, but guess what? The numbers of heart uh, of obesity and diabetes went up because we've gotten to get better at treating those and preventing heart issues sooner through early treatment. But it is important to know that this small nonprofit organization received $1.5 million in order uh, from Procter & Gamble to promote these vegetable oils and alternatives as a healthy form of living and a healthy form of cooking. What organization is this? Yes, of course. And I'm always setting you up for these. Audience, don't you love it? I have to know. (laughs) All right. This small nonprofit organization that now has grown to its largest status, that small nonprofit organization is now what we know as the American Heart Association. I wondered if we were going there. Yes. The American Heart Association, small nonprofit, received $1.5 million from Procter & Gamble to promote these vegetable oils as a healthy alternative for heart disease, while at the same time, the diet-heart hypothesis took hold of our scientific community. And that was back back in, like, the 20s, 1960s, 30s? 1960s, 60s. Okay. Yeah. So, so we moved on from 1920s. We moved on from the 1920s. We we're at that correlation of 1920s and 1950s where heart disease was going up. The diet heart hypothesis and Eisenhower's heart attack was roughly around the 50s. And then when we started seeing a increased production of vegetable oils as an alternative to saturated fat and cholesterol, in the 1960s, American Heart Association got that 1.5 mil from Procter & Gamble to promote that. I had read that they received, the American Heart Association had received a anonymous donation. Uh, so I don't know if this is in addition to the Procter & Gamble one. If that's public, then uh, that's public. But I wondered, the anon- anonymous donor, which right at the advent of when vegetable oils became popular, like they immediately were doubling, tripling in size. The American Heart Association was, which, I mean, like you said, in the 60s, Procter & Gamble paid them a bunch of money to say, this shit is healthy, and they did it. <laughs> right. So it's right, crazy. and this is where we got this is where we got dietary recommendations that were going through the government, and this is where I this is where I think like a lot of people need to apply context, and that is simply I think the intentions were good. Sure. Personally, yeah. I do. Yeah, I I strongly believe the intentions were good, but the ramifications were the actual result of your poor implementation of those policies. I think it's like if I were you know, you know, whoever was involved or uh, in charge of Procter and Gamble. And I had this product in the twenties and thirties that came out of another product that we were already, 
you know, we're we're doing stuff with cotton, and this is a byproduct of that. How can we make this work for us? Sure. I mean, a cheap alternative to butter, lard, tallow, whatever, awesome. Makes it easier for, you know, the American household to cook food and it's cheaper. Great. They probably didn't know at that point how damaging it was, but they damn sure knew it didn't come from food. So um, that all being said, we have, I think at this point, we have beaten the horse, the dead horse, about vegetable oils are bad. <laughs> they are bad. <laughs> well, at least some historical context and showing that they have a negative impact on your metabolism long term. Long term, not short term, long term. Like a real quick, just off the top of your head list of which oils uh, you as a consumer should try to avoid. Just quick off the top of your head. Sure. So my philosophy has always been if you're cooking at high temperatures, then you want to go ahead and use something that's more saturated, something that's solid at room temperature. So that includes butter, ghee, tallow, lard, animal fat, leftover animal fat. Oh, did I say that as a health coach? Bacon grease? Damn right I did. And then also like coconut oil falls into that realm. It's a fruit oil. It's generally saturated. It's solid at room temp. Those are the ones that are better to cook at higher temperatures when you're using the pan. Now, low to medium temperatures, fruit oils are fantastic. And those predominantly are going to be olive oil. Extra virgin olive oils generally tends to be the best. And then you also have avocado oil, which is generally relatively new, but A lot of people didn't know avocado was a fruit to begin with. We live by avocado oil. (laughs) Right. But it is good. But I do want to mention there is a reason why I say uh, fruit oils at low to medium temperatures. Remember, they've been expeller pressed. Okay, so they've been squeezed down until they became an oil. But remember, if you cook with something at high temps for a long period of time, guess what you're doing to that oil? You're oxidizing it. So you're making it partially trans, just like the vegetable oils would. So sautéing, using them as like in the oven at a longer period of time at a reasonable temp. Like those are totally acceptable because they, the avocado oil and olive oil, they have these molecular structures that are called antioxidants. They're called polyphenols. And those will protect them in the initial phases of cooking from oxidizing, from, you know, becoming rancid. So, but if you cook with them at a high temp for a long period of time, just be aware that you're potentially making them, you know, oxidize and you're making them partially hydrogenated yourself. So low, so low to medium temps, fruit oils are great. Olive, avocado, you could even use like all the other saturated fats at low to medium temps, but high temperatures. I say this time and time again. I don't care if palm oil or I, I don't care if canola oil has a high smoke point. The most tolerable ones and the best one for your metabolism at high temperatures are butter, ghee, tallow, lard, and coconut oil and any type of animal fat that's going to be solid. Big thing that we started to look at when we got the knowledge about these oils is we started learning about the smoke points. So you're talking about like cooking with high heat, cooking with low heat, the smoke point of these oils, when they start to actually change at a, at a chemical level. So avocado oil has a pretty high smoke point, which is why we tend to use it for the majority of our uses. And also not all of these oils are always good. That's, that's the biggest thing you want to think about. So like, avocado oil, organic avocado oil that is also stored in a dark bottle. That way, if it's organic, it's not going to, like we talked about, you're not going to get a half, you know, avocado oil, half, you know, vegetable oil of some type. You're going to get all organic avocado oil. And then the next thing you want to look at is make sure it's stored in a dark bottle because the more light that is, it, it, you know, is, uh, exposed to the light, the more oil that is exposed to the light, the more rancid it becomes, uh, you know, more quickly. So avocado has a smoke point of about 450. Um, butter has a smoke point of about 350 degrees. Coconut oil, coconut oil has a smoke point of about 350 degrees as well. Um, and then, uh, and olive oil is the same way. It's, it's roughly between 350 and 410, depending on, 
if you do extra virgin or if she's not a virgin or whatever, <laughs> whatever. Um, <laughs> but the, the best thing you can do when you're looking at these oils and Temple, you can confirm or deny this that we found, make sure that they are organic and make sure that they are from uh, dark bottles. As soon as you open yourself up to these uh, clear bottles, the, the oil is likely rancid already. Um, even if it's organic, it's gone bad. Um, you want to make sure that it is stored in a dark container. So, and then, like you said, we, I mean, we love cooking with butter. We started cooking with tallow recently. Uh, we got some tallow from our good friends at Apsy Farms, which is a great time to talk about them. But they gave us some tallow that was made. So it's made from suet, which is a fat byproduct from the, you know, the, the butchering of the, of the cow. And so we started using that and it's brilliant to saute anything in, but we found that like cooking burgers, uh, especially made with Apsy farms, beef steaks. Uh, I cook my venison in tallow and it is fantastic. Um, and they sell the, they sell the tallow, they sell the suet. It's really easy to make tallow, which is a self, a shelf stable, uh, cooking oil. So go to Apsy farms, dot com a p s e y farms dot com or visit them on Instagram and Facebook and they would be happy to send you some tallow for a very low price. They also have all sorts of beef, chicken, and pork, and all of the meat is raised right. And I'll tell you what, I'll let Apsy Farms raise my meat right anytime. So make sure you check those guys out. We eat their product almost every day. It's fantastic give them a shout. They ship to almost every state in the country. I trust that Tempo will be going to buy his order of Apsy Farms meat. And make sure when you're at checkout, you use code WARRIOR10, W-A-R-R-I-O-R, and the number 10, to get 10% off your first order. So go check out Apsy Farms today. And now we're going to get back to cooking oils, which is the crux of the issue. So yeah, smoke points and bottle colors are more of a factor than I would have expected, but it they do play a large factor. I, I did want to mention that, that that's the only reason why I bring up smoke point. There are much more stable forms of cooking fats that actually can tolerate that higher smoke point, but I, I don't want to just focus on smoke point because guess what? Canola oil has a high smoke point. Uh, you know, like using Pam has a high smoke point. So that's the only differentiation I'm talking, I though, wanted to mention. Yeah, when we're talking about these better cooking oils, talking about smoke point is important because... Correct. When you go over that Not with smoke point, vegetable well, yeah. oils. when you go over the smoke point, though, like let's say you cook uh, with olive oil and you're cooking at like 500 degrees, the, the the chemistry of that oil then changes and it's no longer what it should be when you when you're consuming it. So that's why I bring up the smoke point, because even the healthy oils change and they're not really what you want going into your body if you're using the wrong one at the wrong temperatures. Yeah, get, yeah. just so everybody knows what ghee is, you'll find it in the olive oil section. Ghee is just clarified butter. So if anybody is lactose intolerant, um, what they do with ghee is that it's actually used a lot in Indian cultures. They'll extract the actual lactose out of ghee, and then they'll, people will go ahead and cook with it. So if you have like any GI issues or any lactose intolerance, which – which lactose intolerance, just also so people know, it's not really a lactose problem. Um, you do not have the enzyme called lactase, which breaks down lactose, which is just a sugar from dairy. Um, so if you ever get ghee and you're like, I really like butter, but I need an alternative to butter, ghee is just taking out that lactose, and you'll be able to use that in your cooking, and it's much stable at higher temperatures. Yeah, so so just to recap, sorry, butter, ghee, tallow lard animal fat rendered animal fat that's very helpful and then we go down the fruit oil section we got coconut oil we have olive oil and we have avocado oil start with those first and then you could get more in depth on what smoke point what can i use this with do i even like the product some people are like oh what's that smell is that ghee yeah. <laughs> oh god this is gross and i'm so it's all about what works for you eat real food do what works for you but those are the actual fats and oils that you are able to to traditionally cook with for your healthy lifestyle. And just like with anything else, especially when we're talking about meat 
uh, meat products. You want to go for as much organic, grass-fed, uh, pastured meat or meat that comes from a regenerative agriculture-style uh, farm like Apsi Farms because, again, the quality of your product matters. So if you're getting your butter from happy, healthy cows, grass-fed cows, so like Connor and I, we go to Sam's Club and we buy Kerrygold butter, which is Irish grass-fed Irish butter um, by the you know, multiple boxes of it. So we have it on hand all the time. Um, but the quality of those cooking fats matters immensely as well. Um, but it's a good place to start to be using butter instead of vegetable oils, you know, canola oil and all that type of stuff. So um, my, one of my last questions for you is uh, what strategies can people use to help reduce some of their exposures to these vegetable oils. Because like we talked about earlier, these vegetable oils are a part of life. They are used in every single restaurant, in every state, in every country. Um, we're going to be exposed to them at some point or another. But how can we reduce our exposure overall? Yeah, very good point. It's main emphasis that I would focus on when you're trying to reduce these vegetable oils. I would say just be more self-aware. So if you feel comfortable, like just getting back into reading labels, especially when you go down the inside of the aisle, just like be aware for what is this food product mainly consisting of. And uh, most of those food products, they will have some type of vegetable oil listed in there. So I would suggest go ahead, read your food labels, get back to reading them. But if you have a hard time reading food labels, just buy foods without them. That's a lot easier. Stay on the outside of the stay on the outside of the aisles. If it doesn't have a label, you know, you're probably going to be much better off than if you were to go down like all of the ingredients as well as it being attached to a veg spoil. So if, I would say get back to reading the ingredients label first. Make sure you keep an eye on those vegetable oils, but if you have a hard time reading food labels, stay on the outside of the aisles. And remember, everybody, I want to emphasize this. Fats are essential for your body. It is essential for your metabolism to run effectively and also to help you with inflammation, with infection, with immune responses. So all of those fats that we've listed, butter, ghee, tallow, lard, you know, animal fat. If you're still a little concerning about animal fat, dietary preferences matter to everybody. Use the coconut oil. Use the olive oil. Use the avocado oil in Instead, use those essential fatty acids a lot more because when you use more of those rancid, deodorized, bleached vegetable oils and you attach it to a refined carbohydrate and other shit that you can't pronounce, what happens is that you're likely to overindulge, eat beyond your caloric means until you meet your protein intake. So that in itself is going to help. Start reading labels, but if you have a hard time reading labels, buy foods without them. And then the last thing is, is make sure you are getting enough of the essential fats that your body needs in order to thrive and feel alive. Yeah. I like, I love your point about, it's so simple to say, just shop on the outside of the, of the grocery store, because I think a lot of people don't, know what that means so when he says that it's like down all the middle aisles is where you find most of your heavily processed foods like you said these foods have labels these foods have lots of ingredients in them but when you shop on the perimeter of the store that's where you find what your meat your dairy your vegetables your fruits uh you know all of that type of stuff so it's easier to make choices if you don't really know where to start start there and then if you have to like they have a spice aisle you know but even in some spices dude these oils they're in everything even in some of the spices that you buy those are they also have toxic binders so and then you got to watch out for cheese too because like pre-shredded cheese has uh uh toxic non-binding agents that they coat the cheese with so it doesn't stick together just buy whole block cheese and shred it yourself. <laughs> so yeah, big time. All these things are so hidden, and we talked about this. Like, what it, I think you said, 
they took foods that are highly palatable, like potato chips, and then they shove all these toxic oils into them so you just can't stop eating them and they're poisoning you at the same time. Right, so we're dealing, metabolic physiology-wise, this is what we're generally dealing with when we're eating these processed foods combined with vegetable oils. So when you have vegetable oils in themselves, okay, they're already rancid, you know, highly industrialized seed oil. This is what's actually going to cause our fat to be metabolically dysfunctional. It's going to actually start to hypertrophy. And for people who don't know what hypertrophy is, it's just making your fat cells larger they're getting huge like your cells your fat cells your adipose fats are just getting obese they're just getting larger and larger and larger until they can't store it anymore and then fat lingers out into the bloodstream and this is where we start to get bad dysfunctional triglycerides that throw float through the bloodstream and it makes your fat dysfunctional it's not a fat that your body knows how to burn properly as fuel but what happens is when you attach that to a refined carbohydrate, which is can be simple or, you know, just refined sugar. When you put those two things together, what happens is that you're going to increase your blood sugar, making a hormonal imbalance occur. You're going to have that vegetable oil consumption, which is going to make your fat cells dysfunctional and nice and bloated. And then these foods, like I've said previously, are also low in the macronutrient that satiates you which is protein. So I'm tired. I just have to say this. I'm just tired and sick of it when people say it's all about willpower. It's all about the patient that needs to fix it. Well, if someone shits in a garden, it still smells like <laughs> shit, okay? So when, when you give somebody this modern food environment that sets them up to fail and you expect them to improve their willpower choices, maybe we should rethink what we're recommending and say maybe the actual environment or the recommendations we're giving aren't as sound as we thought they are. Maybe we need to change our tune because people have been saying eat less, move more, for a long time and guess what it ain't working what is working maybe eating real food over junk food and doing the best of your ability and encouraging you to do so rather than focusing on guilt rather than focusing on willpower maybe that will help somebody out of their rut helping them trust them their own health getting them to learn more about these vegetable oils and how they're attached to everything, then also being able to get those essential fatty acids and stay away from the stuff that has nothing to do with willpower. It has everything to do with metabolic dysfunction. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm pretty titillated by this whole conversation. I think it's, it's eye-opening and it's important and it should be taken very seriously. And you should do your own research on top of this and you, you should make the best choices that you believe you know, you believe are the best choices for you and your family. Um, something else that titillates me, Tempo, is when people who listen to this podcast go on to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or whatever, you know, podcast streaming app that you choose to listen to and leave us at the Weekly Warrior a five-star rating and a written review. The other thing that really makes me happy when they do that is when they send a screenshot of that to us on Instagram at the weekly warrior podcast, because when you do that, we'd be happy to send you a free weekly warrior podcast sticker because we love you guys. We love you as our listeners. We're so appreciative. We wouldn't be here without you. And so go and do those things, share it with us, share it with your friends, share it with your family. And while you're at it, go to RFF lifestyle on Facebook and Instagram and give Mr. Tempo a big follow. And because he's got some good shit to share, go and buy his book. It's on Amazon, RFF Lifestyle. I just started digging into it so far. I'm really enjoying it. I cannot wait to see what the future holds for that book and for you, Tempo. Thank you for being here and spending another hour of your life with me on The Weekly Warrior. And I just really appreciate it. 
Thank you so much for having me. It's always great to be here. I really appreciate it. Remember, RFF Lifestyle, Simple Solutions to a Healthy Life. And uh, go to the Instagram page. It's nothing about sharing positive behaviors and encouraging people to act upon those behaviors. You got to trust. You got to learn. You got to act. And also, in my book, it does have a little bit of a talk about vegetable oil. So if you didn't learn enough from this awesome podcast with one of my best friends, Corey, then you'll also learn a decent amount of the book so thank you once again and uh let's let's keep being warriors together brother absolutely so until next week everybody use this podcast use the information share it with your friends and family and discover your warrior within the new super beats heart shoes advanced is now supercharged with coq10 support your healthy coq10 levels and blood pressure with two chews a day Visit Radio Beats, B-E-E-T-S dot com and save 15% with promo code DEAL.